1: Welcome to Sink, Swim, or
2: Fly.
1: Welcome to Sink, Swim, or Fly. We're with Chris Adelhart. What's up, dude? How's it going, man? Pretty good. How you doing? Pretty good. Enjoying some coffee? I love it. (laughs) We got some (laughs) French press coffee going. So here's the thing. Most times I've done podcasts... Uh, they have been with people that I've known more so. Or, uh, oh, you're cool. There's like the sounds of coffee in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, you are the first person that I've had on the podcast that I really don't know other than, like, the coffee shop for a couple minutes. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited. I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so it kind of came out in conversation at uh, Ember Forge um, that you make knives. Mm-hmm. Uh, And you do it out of Erie. Yes. And the whole reason I started this this podcast. All right, I'm gonna fix your mic. Still editing, but um, was to to meet with people and talk with people, get to know people that are like working out of the box, uh, doing cool things like not fitting in like the norms of like Mm -hmm. a nine to five. And I found it just super interesting what you're doing. It's interesting because.
0: I personally have always kind of felt like I fit into that kind of niche, you know, kind of out of place. I mean, even through high school, misfit. Oh uh, yeah, a little bit, you know, kind of always went my own direction with things. Um, and actually, that's how I came up with the name Pariah Knives. Pariah actually means exile. So I was it wasn't that I was an exile per se, but I always felt like a black sheep yeah. growing up. So I kind of took that and found some power in it, and for kind sure. of
1: reinvented it for myself. You know, um, and it's weird. Uh, I felt like that kind of too growing up, and it's always. Were well, you look like a quiet dude in high school? Yeah, for sure. It's always. It seems to me I've seen this a lot. Like you got these introverted people that are kind of not really clicky mm-hmm. in high school, and then you run into them years later, and it's like, wow, they're doing something cool. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and you brought one of your knives. Um, what would you call that right there? That's a tonto. Dude, that is. I saw him online and mm-hmm. I was super impressed. And just looking at it in person, I mean, the leather work. It, what is that, stainless steel? This is actually a high carbon steel.
0: Uh, it's called 1095. It's from the 1000 series steel, uh, pretty commonly used today. Um, it's not like the steel they used in uh, ancient Japan, um, it's not as pure, but we've been able to expand on that technology considerably. And the steel's today. I mean, it's like, it's like space age technology, basically.
1: That thing. How long is that thing? Uh, I think
0: overall length uh, is about 15 inches. The blade itself is about seven
1: and a half or eight inches long. I mean, honestly, to see that in person and to hold it, it's like a beast. You know, you can. It's like the craftsmanship behind that blows my mind. Well, this one's for battle for sure. Who's your average consumer on something like that? Just a collector, some guy that wants to hang it in his man cave, what? It's crazy. I mean, if you think about it, everybody needs a knife. Whether you're a
0: 45-year-old woman who cooks all day or you're a guy who swings a sword at a
1: tree in your backyard. You need something. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I want... Now, uh, we haven't talked about this previously. We haven't really talked about much um, previously. But how much is a piece like that this one is
0: is a little bit more extravagant um because it's not really a practical tool i mean like you're not going to use this to cut your bread you know this yeah. is like a ceremonial be a
1: badass dude <laughs> i just baked this fucking bread just slicing it <laughs>
0: i mean i'm not gonna lie i cut things that you probably shouldn't cut of course uh, but this is like um this is like a fifteen hundred dollar range for something like this um
1: I mean, and I I believe it for every second because you said there's eel skin. Yeah, stingray skin underneath. Stingray skin, eel skin. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, um,
0: some of the materials I use, you can't, I can't ship it to certain locations because some animals are on different watch lists and like some states won't let you import exotic materials like stingray skin.
1: Where do you even get something like that?
0: (sighs) You can get anything on Amazon let me tell you
1: you you order (laughs) sheets of that on amazon
0: i order the actual skinned hide of full stingrays yeah periodically wow yeah it's bizarre
1: (laughs) dude that's like i said this is talking to you for a few minutes um i was super intrigued because it's not every day you meet somebody that's crafting something to that level Hmm. um and then you bring it in, and it's like, oh, this is stingray skin, you know? Yeah. And then you make the leather. This What is that,
0: a sheath? Yeah, it's called a sheath or a saya, if it's a Japanese term. Um, or but not y- make the leather. I don't make the leather. I mean, the cow makes the leather. <laughs> 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 but I take I take the leather, and I process it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the sheaths itself, each facet of the knife is its own discipline. Like, if you go back into Japanese culture, and you look at— how they made the swords you're talking about a whole village there's one guy that just shapes the steel there's one guy that just sharpens the steel there's one guy that just does the guard that just does the handle like every little facet of the discipline was was dedicated to by one individual so that they
1: had a master of like their individual yep, task yeah
0: rather than one person person like in our culture today um, is that me? that's okay. Rather than one person like in our culture today that has to master all these different facets of any craft, they relied on a village
1: to do what they were doing. You know, how, how, how far does that date back? Do you have the history?
0: I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, and numbers are a horrible thing for me, <laughs> but you know, you're talking about like two to 3000
1: years, you know, of that culture. Is, that's super crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, at what point, were you someone that was like into the leather working at first or who, how did you come to the, you know, the point where you're just like, okay, I'm going to start making, working with steel uh, or metal and making blades.
0: Like as a kid, um, I was always into martial arts, like fighting and sword fighting. And, uh, like as a, as a baby, I think my mom read me the Hobbit while she was nursing me or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I feel like I've always had, like... Predestined. Like a proverbial sword in my hand. You know what I mean? For sure. It's always been an interest of mine. Um, that's what we did as kids. we go out in the woods, hack down some sticks, make swords, and beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. Um, so later, you know, as I got older, I would uh, buy knives. I would change them. Uh, I'd alter them, like, color them or... You know redo the handles or something like that um, wow. but then when I got to be a young man I started to I was a carpenter for seven years um, and that trade gave me the knowledge of tools and then I applied that knowledge to try to make these things myself and about seven years ago is when I started actually making them from scratch and ever since then I've just been plugging away at it you know
1: and you uh, just from your Instagram it seems like you have some sort of workshop obviously Mm -hmm. uh and you do all that right Neary yeah yeah Uh, I actually started in my
0: garage my garage had no electricity I had an extension cord from the window of my kitchen you know and that's how I did everything (laughs) Uh, but then you know years later I was like well I should
1: probably rent a space because people were buying my knives more so are people buying these more so from uh, from other places or a lot locally um
0: I What's cool about Instagram, that's where I do about 90% of my business, uh, social media. What's cool about that platform is it actually will break down and show you like what regions are actually looking at your stuff. And I get a crazy amount of people from the UK and Brazil that look at my knives. That doesn't mean they buy them. I think most of my sales are statewide for at least two thirds of my sales are statewide. But I get a lot of customers in Australia, sweden which is interesting because to own a knife in sweden you have to have a hunting license you can't even have it wow um that's another thing that we could talk about too is there's all these different when you deal globally you have all these different cultural uh laws that you have to go around i can imagine i just ordered this material the other day from this company and they had to notify the federal government that i was buying it because it's like a hazardous material so they have to keep tabs on who's buying this material. And you were buying this from overseas. No, I was buying, I, everything I buy for materials is in states. All my steel, everything's USA
1: made. So this was, had to be, the U.S. government had to be notified yeah, that you it, were buying. What it's zirconium,
0: it? zirconium. It's just a mineral. It's like a metal, but it's so prone to spontaneous combustion. And they use it in like, uh, like ballistic missiles, things like that. You can make some really dangerous stuff with it. Uh, so they just have to keep tabs on you what you're doing with it
1: the whole the whole thing kind of blows my (laughs) mind me too every day (laughs) now uh if anybody's listening and on instagram check out chris pariah p-a-r-i-a-h knives and that's just to give you a reference point because i'm sitting here looking at one obviously a listener can't see that Mm -hmm. but i i'd like people that are listening uh I'm sure you'll have listeners from your page, but to check that out and like see exact visualize what we're talking about now something like that from start to finish how long does that take? It's kind of a relative process, um, based on the complexity
0: of the design that I'm working with. But um, like we were talking about earlier, in the beginning of my career, a lot of my work was more of a custom based. business so people would send me their ideas for design I would translate them and then make them for them based on what they wanted now with things like that you can't really quantify time because every every build is a little bit different you know based on Mm -hmm. what they choose some materials take a little bit longer to work with than other materials Um, or uh, it's like steels in general are just like woods there's thousands of different alloys of steel and every steel requires a lot of science to bring it to the point where it's usable as a knife steel. So... No, just trial and error? No, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, education that needs to be had and skill building that needs to be taken uh, when approaching knife making. It's, it's a long tradi- uh, tradition of a craft, but even with like knife making today, you see this quite commonly. If you have any kind of knowledge in what skill it takes to do what I do, that people are taking a lot of sh- shortcuts. They're not really looking at where the science is coming from. They're taking where it is today and they're trying to go the next step, which isn't uh, which isn't wrong. I'm assuming though that it
1: would it would interfere with the quality. It does,
0: yeah. And you kind of when you do something like that, you kind of lose the history of what makes something important and why. Um, but I we've derailed a lot. Well, my, to
1: make a long story <laughs> can, short... You can derail all day.
0: <laughs> it takes me about a solid week of work to make something like this. <laughs>
1: You're like, first off, the world is made of atoms. Yeah.
0: <laughs> In the beginning... <laughs>
1: In the beginning, there was a samurai named mm. Dohochi. And he needed something to cut his enemies with. <laughs> so you take... So, uh, yeah, well, you can derail all day. Yeah. Um, I find this this interesting... And like I said, because you're just a random guy popping in the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and you looked, I remember telling you, you looked really familiar. Yeah. From shows. You ever do, go to shows I was around a, here?
0: I was big into hardcore when I was growing oh, up. Oh, yeah? So I was always at Ford Hall. Um, I pretty much met everybody I know down there.
1: It seemed I moved to Erie in 2012. Okay. So I missed a yeah. lot of that. But I've heard, oh, yeah. like, Erie had a legendary oh, hardcore scene. It was so good. And then what happened? It turned. It seemed like it turned into like uh, jam bands.
0: Well, yeah, like like music in general. You know, like think of the punk movement and how that transformed. How quickly it changed. Punk music, uh, and then you have like skinhead punk, and then it turned into yeah. like post. So many subgenres. Yeah, yeah. So like with the given enough time, the, the sound starts to change on its own. People yeah, grow sure. up, you know, move away.
1: But yeah, the, I, we've talked about. I've talked about Forward Hall. Uh, on this show a lot especially with some like older musician guys then we went yeah. to like some of the local history uh, and venues and all that stuff but yeah where was I at? I'm derailing
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I keep this raw and uncut too so people can hear the spaciness That's good. That's good. the spaciness that we are um, so what we we can get a little bit more into you know
0: <laughs> um I mean we could talk about every any facet of it
1: to Yeah, uh, it's all super interesting. Like I said, the ins and outs yeah. um of the art I'm yeah. trying to learn from you right now, you know. Um I'm gonna, obviously I wouldn't know all the ins and outs, but to get a glimpse of like what you do.
0: Yeah, it's it's really like any other freelance art. Um, you know, I was I went to college at Edinburgh for ceramics. I got a ceramics degree. I taught through the Erie Art Museum for a number of years uh, teaching sculptural ceramics. I tried to make that work as a career, as a freelance artist. Um, part of the reason why I was unsuccessful at that part of my life was I didn't really understand how to capitalize on the internet. Um, Indeed. The internet is such a sharp pencil. It's There's no better tool to market your work today. I mean, think about... How many of the population globally is on social media? I mean, you're never going to be able to reach more people than through social media. Facebook is king for advertisement, you know?
1: Yeah, like 15 years ago, you couldn't come up with an idea of any kind and instantly have 10,000, 5,000, even 20 people from all over see it all at once. Your family would be the only people showing up in the beginning, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, we can, let's talk more about, you keep, you were talking about like their tradition yeah. of what you do. Yeah. Do you, do you keep that in mind? Like, like Japanese tradition?
0: Uh, it's tough because like I was saying before, a lot of their methods were done as a collective, the disciplines and making uh, sword making and knife making. Um, so my methods are much, much more conventional. You know, like I'm able to do things that they wouldn't never be able to comprehend. Just with you like
1: know? modern Just equipment. with
0: technology, tools, and uh, even the materials I use, you know. Um, like for instance, their handle reps, they weren't able to um, impregnate them with resin like I am. Like my, at the end of the day, my handle is like a solid rock. You're not going to be able to break it. Um, back then... They'd go into battle and they'd have to take their sword to the handle guy afterwards, and he'd have to rewrap the handle and repair it. So today, you can do things in a certain light that are—I don't want to say improved upon. Um, it's just different, you know. Like, did you say
1: impregnate? Impregnate. impregnate I did. So that is wood. That's wood that you put resin into.
0: Essentially, yeah. I mean. Um, there's lots of different process involved in the handle making aspect of knives today that involves uh, vacuum impregnation of resin, uh, and what I mean is they'll take a piece of wood, right, and it's like uh, we'll say you know it's maple, so it's not a particularly hard wood in this in the sense of wood, but it, you know has certain susceptibilities like it warps, it can rot. Um, but when you impregna- impregnate it with resin, you kind of remove some of those liabilities by replacing the air that's in the wood with resin.
1: So the wood doesn't warp; it won't won't rot. Um, so some of those like natural, it, like, where wood wants to flex, yeah. it just strengthens. The... It will,
0: essentially what it does is it makes the material a different material. Like in a sense, it is still wood, but that's just part of it now. Yeah, it's about yeah. I, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About
1: 20% hard resin. You know? And is maple like a commonly used wood that you use?
2: Mm. Or
1: are you kind of like all over the place? Because like you said, there's so many different types of steel and metal with wood. It's, oh, there's en- it's endless. Thousands and thousands of different species of wood.
0: And some of them work great for certain applications and some of them uh, don't, you know. yeah. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I've been steering away from doing custom work. Um, because you can advise people on what's appropriate and what will work well, doesn't mean they're going to choose it, and then you have some liability afterwards. You know, I can I can
1: see what you're saying. Yeah, like somebody wants the aesthetic of something or the idea of something. Yeah, and you're like, well, actually, you wouldn't want to use that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the heart what heart wants, what the heart wants. <laughs> <laughs> it's so I, true. one of the things I was thinking of looking at it. Um, cause I can kind of, obviously I've seen lots of woodworking, I've seen leather working. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I thought would, that I really couldn't wrap my head around is the blade itself. Yeah. Like, do you buy sheets or are they like individual, like ruler size? Like, you know what I mean? Like little yeah. planks. Yeah. Like
0: how does, how does that work? So I guess I should preface by saying I'm a stock removal knife maker. I don't forge any of my steel. I'm not the guy sweating over a hammer in an anvil hammering this stuff into shape.
1: I kind of pictured that. Yeah. And most people do. <laughs> like you <know>? topless? Yeah, <laughs> like big kidding. big leather
0: suit on. Yeah, yeah. With a flannel? Yeah. yeah my beard is twice as long when I'm, when I'm working for some reason. <laughs> oh, shit. But no. Um, yeah, I don't do the forging aspect of it. And uh, for some people, that's a big deal. But when you when you put the whole process of knife making down, that's one out of the 50 steps that I don't do, you know, exactly. and there's no difference between uh, a forged knife and a good stock removal knife. You know, it's all about the person who makes it. So you order the blades. No, I order the steel in uh, billet sheets. So it's like you said, it's like a big, like, you know, when you order plywood, it's like a four by eight sheet yeah. at a certain thickness. That's what I do with steel. I'll order, like, um, I use a lot of different high-grade stainless steels, so I'll throw some numbers out that won't mean anything. (laughs) (laughs) But I use a lot of S35VN steel, um, and that's a high-grade stainless. But you get it in sheets. It's already forged out, machine forged, um, with known tolerances. It's just really nice to get this perfect bit of steel that you don't have to do any guesswork on. As a business, you know, you, you try to lower your overhead as much as you can.
2: For sure. Yeah.
1: So you try... So you basically shape it... Um, Cut it out. I and have, then sharpen it, obviously. Yeah. I mean, so there's... In
0: in knife making, there's a big process that this steel goes through in heat treating. So the steel is like... Think of it as uh, dough before it's baked. You can't eat the bread before you bake the bread. So you have to put it through a series of conditions that get the molecular structure of the steel to form and realign in a way that makes it really durable, able to keep an edge, all the things that you want when you have a knife. Um, Now for some of these super steels, it requires a high level of knowledge in metallurgy, expensive equipment. Um, Like this, this steel right here is a very simple steel that we're looking at today. Some of the steels I use require going up to 2,000 degrees, being quenched in air, dropping down to negative 360 degrees in less than two minutes after they're at 2,000 degrees. So there's a lot of science
1: involved. you have a lot of machines. I do, yeah. yeah. Wow, and I'm sure they're not cheap. No, I mean... I saw a little bit of your equipment from like photos. Yeah. and You I'm, should come to the shop sometime. I would love to, dude. Yeah, yeah. I would love to. Yeah. So we got into some specifics about the knives. And mm-hmm. what interests me is the person... Behind the creation.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I know for me that like, since I was younger, whatever it was, like a little home video camera, like shooting little movies with the neighborhood kids. And then mm-hmm. when I got instruments, it was like all bets were off. Like that was my life. And and it did, it's some outlet that I had that I realized not a lot of other people had. Sure. So I've become grateful to have that. Now obviously you're a creator you consider yourself to be a creator obviously yeah i mean i think what you're describing
0: is basically the language of art for lack of a better word um it's a voice that you have so music is your voice that you're able to find your identity in um like art for me has always been loosely that voice or that language wherein i was a ceramic artist and then later, as a knife maker, it's, there's really not a lot of difference in putting yourself into what you're doing and um, developing that discipline. You know, because music's a discipline, just
1: like yeah. art is, and um, knife making is. So, have you noticed, in, while you're creating, that it's almost like there's enough, there's no worry, there's no concern, there's no stress. It's just like you with your project and you like reach this like zen Mm. do you know what i'm saying yeah um i get that a lot and not all the time sure but like i get to this point where it's like all the worries of the world a lot like and i talked about this on the podcast a lot but like i've had issues with drugs yeah and i'm clean now and like drugs and, and music that feeling that i got from both things were almost paralleled yeah one was like positive and like a beautiful thing and one was like really uh cunning <laughs> yeah and an evil thing yeah. um and i think that i wanted that feeling that i got from creating like all the time yeah um and that's been a battle that i've been at for a long time sure and you say that like when you were younger you kind of felt a little bit like a misfit yeah you yeah. know what i mean and i totally feel that and then like you find this thing that you really strive at and it's like everything kind of makes sense yeah, you know with what you're doing
0: you find out who you are in a sense, you know? Yeah. Maybe that voice that we're talking about is like the premise for your self validation, your identity in a way. Because think about who you are and then remove that music.
1: Now it's lost. Not, yeah. Lost. Maybe
0: you don't know who you are after that,
1: you know? Um, we could always go down to your insurance and just.
0: <laughs> I think they're hiring.
1: <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like I couldn't fathom, and, and it's cool that you're finding success. Yeah. And you're finding a niche to where like using the internet that you're finding success. Because that's the battle sure. with a lot of art, artists, comedian. They struggle with, it's like everything in them's telling them to do this. It's where they find the most happiness. It's where it's like the most genuine. Um, and But that doesn't always equal dollars right. and food on the table.
0: Well, we're talking about art you know yeah it's fucked up it's <laughs> what's that the schema about being a st- uh, starving artist or something like that like you're you're not going to be famous until after you're dead <laughs> yeah that, the internet it. has removed that though
1: you for know? sure and, and we were talking before we started that um it is a skill set in its own yeah to be able to work the internet sure you know and be able to uh post at the right times and get it in front of the right people and yeah. utilize that as a tool yeah seems like you, you do pretty good at that too. It's tough
0: because I want to say that it's because of my effort, but a lot of it has to do with timing. You know, when I first started this business as a business, those social media platforms were getting huge. So I got a lot of exposure really early because it was like a new thing and everybody was jumping on and, um, they were spending more than half a second looking at your posts. Like over the last 5 years if you really look at the information that that platform as an as an advertising platform has actually declined with the inflation of other people doing things online and people's attention span getting less and less yeah you know i think on average i spend less than a second looking at a post you know you're flipping through thousands of posts a day you know that's like reading magazine after magazine after magazine you know, I mean, yes, it does expose you to a lot of information, but you kind of miss some of the intimacies and the details. So diluted. It. Yeah, it's diluted. Yeah, it's a good way to put it.
1: Yeah, but I, I'm, I realized too a long time ago, I was never uh, one to really get on and like really look into what other, and spending tons of time um, looking at other people's things. But then like I would post stuff and, exp, you know, think that. You should be paying attention to this but in reality yeah. i myself don't a lot of people don't it's just how it is
0: yeah yeah i think there's pros and cons to it for sure you know you can get a lot of good insight in how you want to do things from looking at what other people are doing um but then you also run into the dependency of doing exactly what someone else is doing and you see that a lot like copying the business models and uh even making certain things like the sound or art just like other things that people are making.
1: Dude, I told, I've i dealt with that recently um, as a songwriter because that's... It's that's, pretty common in music. That's basically what I am, I'd say, at the end of the day as a songwriter. And I play some instruments and do like other random crap, but mm-hmm. like tons and tons of songs. I'm always working on them. It's just kind of like a something that I have to do. Yeah. Um, but if I'm listening, obviously I like music. I like to listen to music. But if I listen to a lot of other people's music when i'm trying to create it starts getting tainted yeah you know i'm either like subtly picking things up from that that i necessarily i'm not you know not trying to rip off or anything but i start, i start picking up subtle nuances um which can be a good thing too but the big thing is like comparing yeah oh man it wasn't that song ain't nearly as good as like or look how many views that person got yeah which I don't
0: think is good for anybody. No, it's not. But we're uh, we're kind of socialized that way to be so, com- so c- competitive with each other, especially in our yeah. society. I mean, think about it. You, your whole schooling system is like gearing you to survive in this hostile environment, where you have to s- protect yourself, you know, financially or it's. We're still kind of living in the woods, and there's wolves out there. <laughs> you know, they just look different now. They're yeah. your, they're your bills.
1: <laughs> it, it is crazy how life evolves and uh, it seems like technology is evol- evolving faster than like the human mind. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> or how we can handle these things that are happening. Uh, we were talking about Rogan, Joe Rogan. Yeah. When we first started this, I, I love his stand-up. Yeah. I love standup, standup in general, but he's like three people ago. <laughs> no, we're jumping on a boat with our babies, like, forging the high seas and having gunfights in the streets. And right. And people are dying of, like, tooth infections. And you just lived where, like, you had sex and ended up. Yeah. And now it's all, like, th- this moral awareness and, like, self-awareness is heightened. But how yeah. heightened really is it? At the end of the day, we're, like, savages it's with true. cell phones. Yeah, I mean... And there's going to be some problems. <laughs> look what's the most popular
0: things in our society. You know, they're the, usually the most violent things. Yeah. You know, football. I mean, how big is that industry? Look at all the primal industries that are really successful. Porn, sports, and what, boxing or something like that. You know, yeah. just very primal uh, emotional responses.
1: You know, that's so apparent um, that you say that, but thinking about it, it, uh, it really hits home. Because it is, it's like, porn. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's the cute, It's like one of the biggest industries in the world. Man, it's cool. Uh, it's it's like pros and cons, dude. Because mm-hmm. I've, I've I've called the internet the greatest and worst thing for music. Sure. Because I could I could have a show next week, and throw some stuff up online. Then all of a sudden, I don't have to walk around on foot handing out handbills because yeah. all these people can see it. But at the same time. Uh, you're not exactly getting any money. You know, you put stuff online like Spotify or something, yeah, and you're not getting, they're not sending out people big checks. So yeah, like 20,000 people can jam your music all at once, and that's crazy. But you're still gonna starve. But yeah, they're not, you're not necessarily getting paid for that. Yeah. To where I feel like maybe 10, 15 years ago when people still bought CDs, um, they'd be hyped, they'd come see you, they'd buy a CD, or they'd go to the music shop and buy your CD. I had so much merch and CD,
0: a CD collection and a record collection when I was younger. I mean, I have all that stuff on
1: digital now. Yeah. I, it's in my pocket.
2: <laughs> any, any
0: song
1: in the entire world that you want to hear, I could pull it up right now. I know. Yeah. yeah. Or any book you want to read, you know? Exactly. You know? So it's all across the board, man, with all the arts. Yeah. Um, and like I said, a double edged sword because there's never been a time you could reach as many people absolutely uh but you know you're still not getting paid <laughs> right unless you handcraft uh unless you do knives swords or <laughs> knives from scratch <laughs> but then
0: like everybody's a knife maker now that's that show on the history channel Forges and fire which is a it's an all right show but the they really romanticize it you know but every kid
1: in their grandmother wants to be a knife maker now from it. I think there is something romantic though, because of the things we're talking about, how far it seems that we're getting from like the roots of being a human. Yeah. And now you got some, it's primal man. And now it's like hip because, you know, you got some dude living by the olden ways. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's uh, raw and it's real. Yeah and it's uh you know what i'm saying it's intriguing
0: it's intriguing well that's the other thing too about our time period now too is you have all these clashes of culture like like you're saying 150 years ago you might not know of any of these influences so like for instance say if i grew up in another country i had no japanese influence would i be making the same things no Unless
1: you had like an uncle that that lived there for 20 years and sailed back home to teach. Right. You know, who knows where I would have ended up. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it would have been better, actually. But yeah, you're right. Uh, What is, I hear it all the time, like we're the dumbest group of people with the most information.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely (laughs) true. Well, think of it. It's like, I'm not very good at organizing. So the more stuff you give me, I just add to the pile. Yeah. Doesn't mean I can get through it and find it at the end of the day. It
1: almost makes uh, you fickle, yeah. Because instead of knowing like five things, like to the ends of the earth, you know those things. They are you. Yeah. Now you've got forty billion pieces of information, and you just like, oh, what do I do with this? I mean, we could sit here and
0: talk <laughs> about narwhals for an hour and a half, and I could regale you about uh, the horns on a narwhal. But what is a narwhal? It's a, it's a whale. You ever seen with a giant unicorn horns on the front of their head? Are you serious? Yeah. It's a tooth, though, that comes out of their mouth. But anyway, my point is, I've never seen one in real life, but I know all this information about them. You know? Uh,
1: that just, they have tusks? <laughs> <laughs> they do. They have like one giant tooth. And I'm a nerd, bro. I watch documentaries about the ocean and the planet, you know. The You've blo- never
0: seen a narwhal?
1: I don't know if I want to admit if I have or haven't. (laughs) We'll Google one later and I'll show you what it looks like. You keep talking about narwhals. I'm going to look
0: one up. But anyways, um, my point was is that, yeah, like you have all this information in your mind and all this knowledge. um, But what does the knowledge of me understanding what the tusk of a narwhal is used for? What does that do for me in my life? It just fills up the limited space in my brain that I have.
1: I have never seen one of these.
0: (laughs) They're beautiful, right? Like palominos with a how do
1: how I've never seen one of these. (laughs) This is something that's still floating around. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Wow, definitely prehistoric as hell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have, dude. I no joke. I watch all the time. Me and my son are watching like aquatic documentaries and Planet Earth stuff, and I've never, for whatever reason, I've and I feel like that would stick out. It's a unicorn of the sea.
0: Yeah what they call it
1: (laughs) you were throwing out an example and i was like no we really can talk about a narwhal for an hour and a half
0: let's bring one in (laughs) but yeah that's badass that's my point though is that yeah i have all this information in my head and i'm not sure when i'm going to use it
1: yeah but when what i was talking about earlier when you're creating when you're making your knives that's the beautiful thing. It's like everything else kind of goes away.
0: Yeah. And oh, right. You, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it, for me, it's in the essence of it, it is that way for sure. Like I find myself in that um, that realm that you're talking about, that feeling of being connected with what you're doing. They call that like chi or zen. Yeah. I mean, it's just being present in what you're doing, you know, being totally there. Um, and I do have that from blade from certain blade to certain blade but the other th- other side of the coin is that it is a business for me and i do have to pay bills you know and i do have to maintain certain things so that passion and that um that peace of mind that you're talking about that connectivity it waxes and wanes
1: you yeah know, it can turn into uh An dead, obligation. deadlines obligation yeah. and uh you know, and it's not something you can necessarily wake up and be like, you know what? I feel like making knives today. Yeah, it's like, dude, I got to get down to the studio and get some shit going. Right. Yeah, and, and I feel that
0: that has an effect on what you do. You know, whether it's
1: music or knives. I, I did. I felt that. I felt that a lot. Like so, this past, um, I went. To, I got. I went to treatment about fifteen months ago yeah. and got clean.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But previously. I mean, until the day I left for treatment, I was touring, um, and I was doing about 200 shows a year. Yeah, that's a lot. Now these weren't all like 50,000 people, like Tyler. You're right. Were, <laughs> it was a lot of uh, okay. I got to go to this brewery. It's yeah. six hours away, um, and I got to play for three hours with people yelling out like, "Why don't you fucking play Freebird already?" I, oh, yeah. You know. So it might have been me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they were, I was doing enough of them uh, and starting to get some good money mm-hmm. to where like, that's all I had to do. Yeah. You know, but it turned into the real thing. Like, okay, I got to drive. I got to set up. I got to mm. play for people that aren't familiar with my music and aren't familiar with me. And they're yelling and loud. And I'm just kind of like, a lot of these breweries want some guy in the corner playing guitar sure. and it's for an aesthetic for like a vibe. Yeah. And that was a, that was a lot different than like sitting around in the living room and like working on something that like pouring oh, yeah. my heart out on. Yeah. So yeah, when you start mixing, um, what you love with like what you must do to survive, it's like amazing because that's like the goal. Yeah. But then when you get there, it's like, Oh shit. Yeah. Now this is what it is. It does make it
0: something a little bit different. You know, yeah. You know, it's not just the thing that you go to to find your peace of mind anymore. It's also the thing you go to as a you rely on it. You know, it's your stability in the end for me anyway. And that can either make it something more special or not so special, depending on the day. You know, because I'm a human. I wake up some days and I'm like, I
1: don't want to do anything today. But uh, and I look back on I look back on what we're talking about. I look back on that time period because when I started doing that, yeah. I was clean at the time because I had been through this recovery process a few times. It's been like an ongoing mm-hmm. battle. And it's so great. Like when I was clean and like really living in it, yeah. I was so grateful and like thankful that I was doing it. And yeah, there were shows that sucked. There was days that I didn't want to be there. But then something in my personal life flopped off and I started... Getting high, yeah, and everything that I'd love and work for just turned into like a chore, and yeah. I would rather be with some high. chick getting high, and it got real fucking confusing. And yeah, this past year has been uh, that's when I started this podcast. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to not, you know, not be so focused on what I'm doing, but like sit down with guys like you, yeah, and just see what else is out there and try to be creative in other avenues and really find out, you know where to go and what life's going to be about. Yeah. Um, and it's cool. How do you feel? Do you feel like what you're doing now? You want to do it forever? I mean, or is this a step along the way? Well, here's the thing, you
0: know, like I'm 34 and I've done a bunch of different things in my life. I I think you were a a carpenter. I was a carpenter. I I taught art, uh, for a while. And then you're a kid and you work a bunch of crazy jobs and try to make things work. Um, But you never really know how long anything's going to last. And I think the real lesson is, is that nothing really lasts that long. So yeah, I love what I'm doing. Um, And it is hard some days, but I think me understanding the impermanence of any kind of security has really let me appreciate it a little bit more and value it for what it is when I have the time to value it. Because I, I know in a couple of years, what if I get injured? You know, what if my hand gets broken or something I can't work? Worse disasters befall normal people every day. So to think that far ahead to me seems a little like putting the horse behind the cart type of idea. Yeah. You know, or...
1: So just kind of, you know, living where you are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Being more present in what I'm doing today seems to be way more of a fulfilling... State of being than it is for me to plan, you know, 10 years from now when I have no way of knowing if this yeah. city's even going to be here. <laughs> you know, you're like, I don't know if I'm going to
1: survive this podcast. Uh, who dude. knows?
0: I could die. Yeah. We well, get hit by a plane or something.
1: No, I, I, I yeah, I, I believe what you're saying and I respect that. And to a degree, um, try to live that way currently. Yeah. You know, it's hard though. It is hard because, you know, Especially with being an addict, I want to, anybody probably, you you get stuck dwelling on like things you could have done better Oh yeah. uh, or what things are going to be like in two years or or two weeks. um, And then that moment, then you're in that second really suffers. Sure. Um, As generic as that seems, but it is really, as I grow older, a lot of these things that people said over the years that I thought were like, whatever, bro, that's super cheesy. It's like, nah, that's actually, it's pretty real. Yeah. Uh, And it's like the human condition basically. Yeah. Um, but you said with your knives, you're, you've been sold out for a year and a half.
0: Yeah. Um, the way that I started the business um, was slow. You know, I was just doing it because I wanted what we were talking about. Like I was working as a carpenter. It was unfulfilling. I was teaching as a ceramic artist, which was great as a passion, but I made no money at it. Yeah. So I started doing this as a way to get away from the stresses of my life. You know it was pursuing an interest So kind of like a hobby at first yeah I mean that's a hobby yeah that's a good way to say it Um, but then I just started people started buying them and all of a sudden I had this huge demand so I had to kind of rise to the occasion I had to if I was gonna be serious about what I was doing I and I wanted to get out of my job I hated my job it was really hard for me Um, in order to get away from that I had to make this more viable And having that demand for my work let me know that people wanted something specific. Rather than me try to guess what I wanted to do, I was going to let them decide and then try to bridge the gap between the two. And my first early knives were a lot of commission orders where I'd take a deposit, I'd put you on a list, I'd have like 20 20 on that list, and I'd just try to work through it. Over the course of time, that list got huge yeah and so i started to have to tell people yo it's gonna be like eight months until i get to your order um and that transparency helped people
1: conform that, to that so is that something where people have to put like a deposit down
0: yeah um like in the beginning as a as a business precaution i did that because you know people would get to the end of a build and be like yeah I just decided something could happen in their lives financially and they couldn't pay for it anymore which is I understand 100% Um, but it's just to protect me you know as I'm building these things as I'm spending money to make these things that I have the income to keep doing it you know in that scenario since then my business has changed a little bit the model of it and I rely less on the intricacies of the client and more on what I want to do at any given time that's awesome
1: yeah Hey, do me a favor. Yeah. Your base, yeah. kind of just push it that way, about four or five inches. Like that? Yeah. That See that angle, that mic is angled a little bit? Yeah. And uh, it's kind of pointing towards your face now. Oh, it was, I see. Yeah, yeah it was kind of like pointing off to the side. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, can you're mean, good. Can you hear me better? Yeah, 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 you're okay. good. Sorry about that. No, that's all right.
0: Um, this is like one of the first uh, physical interviews I've ever done before.
1: Like I said, dude, that's exactly why I wanted to do this not to to say I'm some like seasoned you know person that interviews people yeah. or um but it's just like I knew all these people and especially doing music and I'm like man I'd like in getting in the podcast it's super it's super cool like if there's somebody on Rogan's or anybody's podcast that I like like I would love to hear uh so and so talk for 2 hours about anything just to get a little insight on who they yeah. are and there's not really much of a platform for that on the local level even though erie seems to be an exceptional place as far as there are some incredible musicians here dude. Totally. and i lived in pittsburgh i've lived in columbus um and some of the people that i've seen in erie with music or whatever were mind-blowing oh yeah like they could hold up against any big city people that i've met as far as mu- music or whatever listen you ever go see tony gray play yeah those guys yeah i love him he is one of the guys that i've been wanting to do uh this with and we've talked a little bit i'm sure you he's so such a nice guy oh yeah he was all about it um this was early on when i had a host yeah um and he kind of bowed out and it had been four or five months like we did a couple episodes Mm -hmm. and there was like four or five months where like nothing was happening yeah and basically he's like yeah i gotta bow out so uh what is it about three months ago i started doing them more so so the majority of the episodes have come from that time period mm-hmm. but he is definitely one of the dudes uh that's gonna hopefully be on soon yeah i did one with uh Trahosky. yeah steve Trahoski. you know him yeah and and that was cool because i've known him for a while um and we just sat down and kind of let one thing you know one foot after the other and just started having like a really deep conversation about being fathers and yeah and yeah. Uh, and, and creating and which is part of being a father yeah for sure <laughs> huge for, part actually <laughs> dude my little my little boy is five yeah it's um, a great age too and, and it's one of those things as a dad it's like okay when do I start trying to teach him some stuff with music yeah um, and it turns out like you don't really got to teach that type of stuff at that age all of a sudden he's like dancing and he's like coming up with his own songs even though most of them are about like poop yeah or like Legos well it's all the stuff <laughs> he knows but I'm like <laughs> but I'm like you know he I feel like that that creative aspect of people is like in them from the get where mm-hmm. um, or it, or it isn't but I can totally sense... I'm like, oh, I'm not going to have to teach him anything. He's going to be schooling me. Yeah. I can already tell. I'll give him like a little ukulele. Mm-hmm. And it will be... Uh, he can't really do any fingering. But it will be in like an open tuning. Yeah. And then he has a little toy kick drum. And he can strum. And do the drum and, at the and it same be time? In an, just one chord. But he'll strum and kick and it will be It'll be in. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I'll tune his uke to like, uh, you know, an open C or G. Yeah. And then I'll kind of diddle in the background. And then I'll try to sing. He's be like, no, no, no. I'll be doing the singing. He already has creative yeah. Uh, control. Yeah, and it's like, poop in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, but I'm thinking, like, yeah, I'm not going to have to teach this dude anything. Yeah. I didn't start playing music until, I was, like, I was, like, the depressed dude in study hall, like, writing poems. Yeah. yeah and, I mean, like, reading that. the Kurt Cobain journal, yeah. you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, I've been there. <laughs> uh,
1: so music for me came, like, as I was leaving high school. But just with having, I realize with my son, his name's Elliot, with just having mu- music stuff laying around the house yeah, and him coming out to a show when he can, or um, that enough is going to be encouragement. Absolutely. Um, and I can see it in him, you know. And, and his mom's a super creative person, too. What does she do? Um, she does all sorts of, like, uh, jewelry, like, handcrafted jewelry. Cool. And, um, yeah, we're no longer together, but... She got an Etsy page and she's getting into like YouTube videos now. It's and amazing. It, you can... You, you I really think you can do anything
0: online today and make a job out of it. Have yeah. you seen those kids that open up toys on YouTube? The one kid makes like $8 million a year. My son's
1: obsessed with that.
0: They are. All those kids are watching those videos. That's weird though. That's like vicariously getting the satisfaction of receiving a reward. You know what I mean? Like watching someone else receive a reward
1: by opening a toy. You know, you know what... Was, Yeah, what was weird for me about those shows is because initially, probably like any parent, they seemed uh, pretty harmless. Okay, whatever. It's just kids opening toys. Yeah, and then I realized that uh, there'd be certain toys, and I'd be like, you want one of those? And he's like, nah. Hmm. And I'm thinking... Why are you you, watching it? You would rather just see this kid play with it? And so uh, right around that, for Christmas this year, um, we were watching, I think his kid's name... I forget what the one kid's name is. He's like a little Asian boy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there was like a four part. (laughs) I can't believe we're talking about this. There was a four part video where he is riding uh, a bike or learning to ride a bike, you know? And I was like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to get Elliot a bike with the training wheel option and teach him. And on Christmas, he's just like, I don't want this. You know, (laughs) and I'm like, well, we watched like (laughs) an hour and a half of that like Asian boy, yeah, (laughs) riding a bike, and he just didn't make the connection. Like, yeah, it was just you know. So, nonetheless, I was like, dude, we're working on this. So before it got some of these warm days lately, I've taken him out, and it's uh, it's something he seemed to enjoy. But I did get the sense that like this is a weird time because. There's when I was a kid, like you were saying, as soon as school let out, I was in the woods. Yeah, we were building forts. We were like making little dams in the creeks and wading, yeah, and and, and just all sorts of crazy throwing rocks at trains. Oh yeah, we were doing horrible stuff. My son, I'm like, you want to go to the park? He's like, nah. <laughs> I know. I'm like I'm cool. Do so you make me some chicken nuggets? <laughs> well, I think it's part of part of it is like being able to live
0: another life by watching somebody else's life. You know, like we do it with television. We've
1: been doing it television for so long. I've made that connection too with him because I'm like, I'm like, this is crazy. You know, this is bullshit. And then I'll go to my room and like watch Shark Tank for five hours. (laughs) And I'm like watching other people achieve their dreams. It makes me so happy. It's like the same thing, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm like, do you know? And I have these thoughts that I'm like, maybe I should get up and like invent something instead. I'm a creative dude. Yeah. And then I'm like, nah, I'd rather just, just
2: watch somebody lay back
1: it. and <laughs> eat an egg roll and watch this guy do it. <laughs> right, yeah. Which is weird because, it, and I've talked about this on this podcast too, it's like being able to see these issues, but then being a part of them, you know, subconsciously yeah. a little bit too. It's like, damn, I'm just as bad. And it's like almost like you can't help it. Yeah. Because these things are designed to do a certain thing, and it's working. Yeah, and even though you can see, that's I had to get um, Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff off my cell phone. I understand
0: why, man. Like, honestly, if my business was not on social media, if I could do it without social media, I would. It's exa- yeah. it's an exhausting experience because you and I come from the generation like the last generation. We, we had some pre-internet time. In our life, exactly. Like think about everybody after us. Remember the do 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 do. Yeah,
2: <laughs> you <off>. got
1: mail. You <laughs> get off the phone. I'm trying to use the internet.
0: I, I know. My parents hated <laughs> me for like the first ten years of my life because uh, I was always using the phone.
1: I've talked about this specific time period in this is what we're talking about now on here before as well. Yeah. Um, and it's interest it interests me because we're at we're very rare people. We lived. In that crossover era that, you know, nobody after us is going to know. Right. And really nobody, because we're at that time. And there is, you know, people that were older than us saw it Mm -hmm. for sure. And people a little younger. But there's only like a 20-year gap of people ever that have lived in such a time to where like... Yeah. I didn't get a cell phone until I was 18. Yeah, I was like 22 or I something like I was going that. off to Pittsburgh to college, and my dad, too. My dad's like, hey, here's a flip phone. Yeah. You know, give us a call. So we know where you are. <laughs> <laughs> but in high school, you know, like, like my son's too young, but my girlfriend, um, her daughter's 12. Yeah. And it's it just like that. You can tell that that generation, all they know is like Snapchat and the phone. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's their culture. Yeah. And that's. And obviously with with safety and everything nowadays like I'd probably want my 12 year old if they're going to the mall or something with their friends for the day yeah. like here here's the phone right um, but at the same time it's like that's a scary thing because they've never really known a world without it right yeah they grew up with mom and dad sitting and I and, and I've noticed getting social media off my phone when I hang out with my kid I'm not just sitting looking right. at the cell phone right because he you know what he said to me recently I uh, I was putting my phone on the charger. And he's like, "Why does everybody get mad when they have to put their phone on the charger?" And I'm huh. like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Everybody gets real mad about it, you know, because my phone's dying." Yeah, you know how people are. Yeah, and I've probably been like that. And he said, "I like it when people's phones are charging because that way they get to hang out with me more." There you go. I was like,
0: oh "There's my some goodness. wisdom that you should <laughs> <laughs>
1: should really take home <laughs> for sure." But um, like I said, it's uh, it's one of those things that I can I realize it's happening. Mm-hmm can be very much a part of the problem without realizing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, we're talking about is just being socialized, you know? Um, think of the time period when the camera was first invented. There was like social anarchy. People were like killing people over, you know, painters were killing photographers because they were taking their business away. The whole world was changing. And there were some people that were around before cameras, and there were some people around after. And then you had the group that's just like us that was around for a little bit before and then got to see the shift. And if you look at, uh, technology, the history of technology, it happens that way. Like think about the car, think about people who were born before the automobile and after like you can get anywhere in the world. You don't think anything of it, but you know, a hundred years ago, people were on buggies and horses. And, and it would take 15 years to yeah, travel the country yeah. to
1: get to California.
0: I have a cousin in Massachusetts. I'll see him in 10 years when
1: we uh, make Phew. it there.
2: <laughs> you
1: know. It is mind-blowing, man. Um, I think I've heard things, too, about when photography first came out. Mm-hmm. Pe- there was a lot of people that were scared, like thought yeah. it captured your soul. Yeah. You know. Like it was they, magic to It was like, it them. Was, like, it's like witchcraft. Yeah. I, I had never heard the aspect, though, that it was... Um, think about painters germs. painters were killing people I never heard that well it
0: was like if you were a painter it was a huge industry makes you you went and you did were doing like family a f- portraits everybody was getting everything painted you yeah know, as a instead of instead of a wedding photographer you'd hire a guy to come yeah. draw you'd have to sit there for three days in your giant frilly outfit with all your dogs and get painted nobody
1: smiled
2: then
0: no I don't think smiling happened until after the Great Depression <laughs>
1: There was a. Uh, I saw that in a stand up too. Like, if you went, if you looked at a photograph from like the late 1800s and you saw some girl giving duck face in the peace sign, you'd know she was a time traveler. <laughs> yeah. Right. Nobody got like, fucking smiled then. has got like the West Side symbolism. Yeah, they just stood there looking starving. Like, that girl does not fit in that picture. I love stand up.
0: Yeah, it's good. That's like, um, I've been waking up to some stand up, and that's like a great way to start your day with a little bit of comedy you know you you like listen to the audio or you uh audio yeah 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 because yeah. i like to just like i like to take an hour in the morning when i wake up and like almost like decompressing from sleep i guess would be a way to describe it but i like to make myself coffee i like to sit you know i do my routine or i you know shower or whatever and exercise a little bit um, but i like to go back to bed and like let my mind open up a little bit. I listen to stuff and I'll do some reading or, uh, answer emails or whatever. Uh, and then after I'm at that point, I go and I like start my day. Yeah. Yeah. It it sure, it probably sure beats like the, oh my God, my alarm's going off. I got to be at work in haven't Today was the first day I set an alarm in like probably a year.
1: I set one the day too. (laughs) I got up early though. I mean, I finally got some sleep, uh, Last time we had scheduled, we had scheduled to do this last week. Mm. And, uh, I woke up just feeling like shit and couldn't sleep and whatever. And that's not a really good mindset to do something like this. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah, I agree, dude. Starting my day, getting up in this French press I just got, is awesome. Mm. It's I get up and it's a little bit like, you know, like a little process. And you got your fresh coffee and then it showered and played a little guitar. You got to have your rituals in life. Those are, those are something, uh, I feel like I'm a little late to the party of like growing up <laughs> and yeah. you know what I mean? I'm like right, I've, yeah. I've spent like the last several years just being reckless yeah. and like really just getting by by the, you know, the skin of my teeth. I think that's a lot of people our age, but nowadays, like, you know, what? I'm like, you know, I'm going to get up, I'm going to maybe have a cup of coffee, <sighs> a cup of Joe, <laughs> like a little shower. Uh, it's just, and I'm super grateful and appreciate that stuff. Mm hmm. But yeah, I, I was super excited to have you, to have you come over and do this because I had never, like I said, <laughs> I say, like I said a lot, I've realized that with podcasts. When you listen back to them, yeah. like, I got to really quit saying that over You and notice over. all the
0: things you do. <laughs> yeah. I probably say, um, like every, every time I start a <laughs> sentence.
1: Um, yeah. But like I said, <laughs> it, it was a cool, it was a cool, uh, thing that we had never really spoken. Yeah it's an opportunity to like document getting to know somebody yeah for sure which hasn't really happened yeah but I've been wanting it to happen
0: it's good as a person too to put yourself in a situation where you're not necessarily comfortable and like figuring out how to navigate those I mean that's kind of what growing up is I guess which I'm still trying to do
1: (laughs) you know
2: yeah and like
1: (laughs) I swear that a lot of my conversations in life are like, can this dude tell I don't care? (laughs) I I know, I know, I know. (laughs) You know what I mean? like, what does my
0: face look like right now?
1: Like, what is uh, is my face looking like right now, and can he tell? Yeah. Um, And I don't really feel like that as much anymore. (laughs) Well, is it like the apathy
0: of age? Like, oh, I just don't even care if this person knows what I'm saying or not.
1: (laughs) I think that uh, just a point in life where trying to be more interested in like what other people are doing. Yeah. Um realizing your own ins- insignificance and, and and in learning about other people and learning how to listen. Yeah. Uh and connect with other people. It makes life it makes life better. It is. Doing this has like honestly made my life better you feel like you have more connection to people in general yeah but yeah for sure although you're doing okay this is recorded and it's going to go on social media it's going to go on the internet yeah the the point is you got two dot guys that only really know each other right. sitting at a table having a conversation and i can't tell you too many other times in my life that that's happened for no reason absolutely yeah. you know like hey you want to come over and hang out we'll just like right you'd be like I've with, never what's done up with this before, dude i don't think is this dude is this dude into me <laughs> I've hung out with some like homeless people that
0: way. Like, Hey, do you want to come hang out in my shop? I know really? cold out. Yeah. Oh, that's that awesome. Uh, it was really good at first. And then I got into some weird situations doing that. You always got to make sure that you're, you're protective of yourself.
1: I can totally, um, see, see that because sometimes that initial compassion and caring, uh, can turn into like vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure.
0: Where is your shop? It's on, uh, you know, the PACA building on 15th and State? Yeah. Yeah, it's in that building. Okay, cool. I've been there now. That's where I taught ceramics, too, for the Erie Art Museum. Uh, Clay space is in there. And I uh, started there. I've probably been in that building now for about 10 years, I think, about it. Um, I actually lived in there for a little bit. Don't tell anybody. But for about two weeks. (laughs) Don't tell anybody, but... We're telling everybody. Yeah, everybody's gonna know. <laughs> well, you can't uh, can't prosecute me for crime that's already been passed, right? <laughs> the,
1: uh what is that the law of limitations? Yeah, something like that. Dude, that must have been a pain in the ass to get all that gear in a pack. Is this some like big crazy gear or is yeah. it pretty condensed? Yeah, some of I'm on the third floor too. Uh, and they only have a tiny elevator. Yeah, they got that crazy old
0: timey elevator. Yeah. Some of the machines that I use for my business I wasn't actually able to bring to my shop. Because I have a surface grinder that I bought with a buddy of mine who's also... There's three knife makers in Erie that I corroborate with uh, regularly. Uh, and one of them, we had bought some machines together in the beginning. And like we just could not get them upstairs. They weighed like 2,800 pounds for this surface grinder.
1: Where do you even start? I don't even know. You're like, we know. didn't start.
0: We did. We, we <laughs> bought it. We got it to one location. And then we're like, well, this is where it's going to live now. So
1: you just have to use do what you need at that location?
0: Well, I ended up buying other machines to subsidize the process so that machine was taken care of in order to forego using it. Cause it was so far away at that point. But yeah, I had to make some cuts based on where my shop is located because some of the machinery is just, it's like weighs more than a car,
1: you know, is this machinery like specific yeah. uh, to your craft or is it something that you, is used for tons of different things?
0: Well, The the knife making specific machinery has really only come out uh, more recently, but there's a whole history of tool makers out there. And we live in the Rust Belt too. You can go online and find some really awesome old mills, old tools that you can use for knife making. You know,
1: you can use to make anything essentially. Um, But there's things that have come out that have made it a little easier. Yeah. And it's more uh, geared towards that exact
0: purpose. Like I have a, one of my main tools is a a 2x72 belt grinder. It's a, you know what a belt sander is? Yeah. Essentially, it's a belt sander that's been souped up and reconfigured to just do knives. Now, I make lots of stuff with it, but uh, it was designed specifically for knife making. Um, And you find that the more popular this craft is becoming, you have tons of people that are just doing these things, just making the parts for it. Uh, just selling the materials
1: or making the tools. So it's really like a huge industry now. Yeah, I, a lot of people complain, just kind of going branching off what you just said at the end there. Complain that like factory jobs, you know, back in the day, guys would get out of school, go to war, and then get a factory job. Yeah. And they just ride out forever or whatever, or whatever they did. 15 hours. And a lot of that stuff is kind of fading now. But I really think if you look at it from like a creative standpoint, it's opening the door to like do stuff, stuff out of the box. Because yeah. like you just said, like I would never in a million years think that all of a sudden knife. Well, well, I knew that that was kind of getting popular. You know, all this like revamping of yeah. like a really cool, cool stuff like that. Like, you know, ancient crafts and shit but you got guys that are specifically tooling machines Mm -hmm. to help guys like you yeah um which makes perfect sense but it's not something that that i would really think about you know and and it's that's super intriguing yeah well think of it like uh
0: gas right so we made vehicles that required gas you go to a gas station look all the other stuff that's at a gas station you know because you have to go get gas Because they knew that people were making knives, they knew that they would have a list of needs. So if you can can supply those needs to a demographic,
1: you have a sustainable market all of a sudden. Yeah, like all of a sudden you've got guys that are inventing like gumball machines to like put or, you know, display, all this crazy stuff. So yeah. And we are, we're living in a time
0: right now where handcrafted is becoming like a huge movement. Like we're getting out of the mass produced monoculture phase and we have all these people that are, redoing everything that we had automated, you know, like there's people making like beer, for wine. Beer. Yeah, exactly. It's like exa- the same thing, really. And uh, you have like these small entities that are doing these things that we had really kind of pushed into mass production. So people could, I don't know, smoke cigarettes and buy cars or whatever we did in the fifties, you know, uh, you ever watch mad men? Uh, no, but I've heard about it. All right. it's a good show, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we could do some references, but, uh, um, but yeah, we had all this time to uh, industrialize our society, all the things we needed: food, um, housing even. We had all those pop-up houses. But now we have this culture where it's more about uh, handcrafted is more valuable than machine made, um, which isn't necessarily true. You know, we forget that some of these processes that we developed, there was a lot of understanding that went behind doing them. And it's funny. I talk to knife makers all the time. and the the biggest uh, dilemma that I I hear from them is like, oh, I, my knife is so much better than the knives you can go out and buy. And I always say, well, do the real test and prove to me that it's better. And nine times out of ten, you can go to the J C. Penneys and get a twenty dollars chef's knife that's gonna even be better than most of these custom knife makers.
1: You know, yeah. I could see that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of like what we were saying before about how. It's the learning curve so much different now because information is so readily available that they miss a lot of the understanding that comes from learning it the hard way. How did you learn? Because I don't think we talked the way about that, that, that we're talking, <laughs> the horrible way <laughs> through the internet and through um, meeting people who had done it uh, the way that I wanted to do it. Um, I think the only reason why I chose the path I did was because of who I am. As a person you could put anybody else in the same position and they might choose a different route you know depending on who they are but i i knew the history of uh, the art of it and i also had studied martial arts so i understood what uh the mantra of martial arts is you know to understand that there's a correct there are correct ways to do things and then your goal as a martial artist or anyone who pursues doing something correct is to develop an aptitude seeing that correct way understanding what direction you should go in Um, and that's a really easy thing to say and a really hard thing to grasp and imply in your life Um, but because I understood those principles I really kind of have let those be the guiding force in anything I do Uh, whether it be making knives or talking to people you know how you do anything in life you know
1: yeah I've I've even like you said earlier with with the music it's similar like yeah. you can you can uh kind of skip skip certain things and kind of jump around without any like extra traditional or like knowledge of like what's really going on and yeah. i find myself there i did that for a long time learned a couple chords and just played them really fast and sang shit yeah and then uh had some some success doing that but it, but then nowadays i'm like the last several years it's like there's a lot of information that i just kind of jumped over that would be super beneficial to me now in like the recording process or this this and this so i'm going back and like learning theory or whatever else is involved yeah and more like traditional aspects um but yeah when so when you first started doing knives you probably i'm assuming you like you tried to skip some steps at one point and like we're like oh yeah, I I need to really understand sure. this process because this isn't what I want.
0: Well, in the beginning, you only know so much, so a lot of the time you don't know what you're no, what you're missing, and you don't find out till later that oh, I should have been doing this. But Did you watch a lot of YouTube videos? No, actually. Um, was it more reading? It was more reading. Um, I had a lot of books, and I watched a lot of uh, like you. I watched a lot of documentaries, um, and like the idea of sword making in general had always been an interest of mine as a kid, cause I loved the culture and I loved the idea of like being a Ronin warrior, you know, yeah. eight year old kid with a big stick and you know beating up kids in the neighborhood. Um, so I had an interest in it. So I was able to learn a lot of the processes loosely beforehand, you know, and those kind of helped me guide myself in a direction where I was like trying to learn the right way to do it.
1: So, you know, you know. Before you got into specifics, you understood, like, what it was all about. Yeah, what the goal you know. was.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing, too, because if if my goal in the beginning was to make money at this, I would have pursued it a lot different than it was. My goal in the beginning was to make the badass, most badass knife you could ever buy. You know, just
1: honing a skill.
0: Oh, just something that would survive past me, you know? Like, I wanted to make something, like, that you fought the last boss with in the game, you know? Like, you got to the end, and the only thing that was going to beat this huge evil was this blade, you know? And that was me that made it, you know? Um, Look at this again.
1: I mean, dude, it's insane. This definitely, looking, I'm looking at this, What you say this again? What's that? Tonto? It's a Tonto, yeah. If I had $1,500, you take checks? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. I do payment
0: plans too. Um, That's the other thing too, is I don't always make super expensive knives. Um, More often than not, I'm making things that are used functionally for people. Like I do a lot of kitchen knives, a lot of chef's knives. Um, So there's people
1: around that are using your, in kitchens. Yeah,
0: I have a lot of uh, restaurants that use my knives in their lines, their cooking lines. Um, Do you have some sort of brand or mark? I do, but I hide it. It's on the tang inside the handle. You won't be able to see it unless... That knife can come apart, actually. You can take all the parts off of it. Uh, But inside, you'll see my maker's mark on the tang. That's the way they used to do it back then. Um, That's my kind of fight and my kind of uh, passive-aggressive hit against individual branding. You know, I dislike the idea of branding the individual. I just think it's too egotistical
1: for me. Yeah, it no. doesn't say pariah, giant, across yeah. the back.
0: Like, why do you got to put your name over everything you own, you know?
1: There there was a knife uh, that I wish that I had still um, that I wanted to show you. It mm. was it was an old mule skinner. Yeah. You ever seen those? I mean, I, in variation, for sure. Like, super short, but, yeah. like, really fat. Mm-hmm. And it had this uh, handcrafted, um, looked like it was made out of some sort of bone or uh antler or something yeah yeah and super ornate and i remember taking it to a knife shop at one point because a buddy of mine gave it to me when i was touring down in north carolina yeah and they're like i think you'd appreciate this you could use it on the road in case you got in a jam whatever yeah and i found a little uh sheath that's that's what they're called again yeah uh for it that was cool and handmade and i don't I was thinking about that recently and this was kind of the peak of like when things were going off the rails for me.
2: Yeah.
1: And I don't know what happened to it, but I remember showing it to uh this uh, this knife guy mm-hmm. at a shop and he thought that it was like super super old. Yeah. And uh handed down uh, in a family and it had some sort of like little marking on it and he yeah. thought it was like a family crest. And Could it was be. super cool and I wish that I had it to show to you, but that uh, and it was super sharp too. Yeah, um, super sharp, bro. <laughs> um, but it was cool, and I would like—I uh, would like to have, at some point try to buy one of those knives off you.
0: Yeah, and of course, um, I don't charge the same price for people who are local than I do for people online, just because I know the standard of living here in Erie. I would never be able to sustain this business if it was just in Erie. I think like you know, if you
1: had a brick and mortar. Yeah. And we're I, just like, I think
0: I sold like 12 knives over the last six years here in Erie. So there's no way I'd be able to have any kind of sustainability. Um, so that in mind, I always lower the price for local people, you know, in Erie. Cause I want people in Erie to have my stuff. You know, it's cool. I live here. It's know? very
1: cool. Yeah. It's, it's honestly mind blowing work. Uh, and anybody that's listening that hasn't, Seen it because you know I'm, seeing, I'm sitting here looking at one and and it's the pictures are fantastic but even just holding it and feeling the weight it's different I, right? I just know it just feels like some I've seen a lot of uh, I've had buddies that had had a lot of like knives that you would hang yeah, yeah that are for looks but you pick it up it's like dude this is chintzy as all hell yeah right Um I feel like that thing would really carry somebody through a battle it it's designed to <laughs> and. I mean I get
0: to that point by doing a lot of testing. Um trying the steel. Cotton steal cantaloupes. Out. Cotton cantaloupes. I saw some
2: video. <laughs> <laughs> You're like
0: Whoo! I just love doing that stuff. That's really why I make the knives
1: so I can cut stuff with them yes. at the end of the day. You know? Remember Gallagher? Yeah. The comic that yes. would smash. smash. <laughs> Instead you just like tell a joke, Ugh! and then you cut like watermelon in half and shit. I, I wish that was my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That dude,
0: you can have that idea. Maybe one day when I <laughs> I'm less reliant on making them. I'll do a show just about cutting stuff. Just a bunch of puns. <laughs> Who's that sharp dresser?
2: I am. What's up?
0: <laughs> Whenever anybody asks me how my business is doing, I always say, well, I'm living
1: my life on the edge, man. <laughs> well, it's really a double-edged sword, this kind of success, you know?
0: It is true, though. <laughs> you know, like, the other thing, too, is, like, I have a, a, a big following online, Um but as a business, it's hard. It's really hard. You know, like I've had times where I've been up. I've had times where I've been really close to fucking tapping out. You know, like I've almost got to zero a
1: few times doing this. Because um, you're probably knife to knife. I was for a long time. Yeah. Like. But I mean, even making them, like you can't make six of those a day. Right. Yeah. So it's you, like, and I'm, your cat, you're. Living, you know, you're selling one at a time or a set at a time or yeah. whatever, right? Well,
0: think of it like this like when you have a job, you go there, and what you do during the day doesn't affect what you get paid at the end of the day. You still get the hourly rate. For me, I only get paid based on what I complete, so it's all about my return on investment. I can only make money if I put this amount of time into it or use this amount of resources to get to this goal. Uh, so for me, it's like do I want to make money today or do I want to take care of the stuff I have to take care of? And it's a trade off usually. Um, and you don't really think of that when you start a business, you think it's going to be easier, but let me tell you, doing your own thing, it's not easier. It's actually harder. Like I work twice as much now than I did when I worked for someone. And if you equate that or you quantify that, my income is probably lower than in when it was, when I was working for someone Yeah, if you else. went off like
1: hourly. Yeah, yeah. But I... But you think you're more willing to work 15 hours for yourself for what you love to do than yeah. sitting somewhere else Absolutely. on somebody else's goals or...
0: I mean, really what I'm getting at is that the time I spend at what I do, it's not a job. You know, it's more like I have a goal and I'm trying to reach that goal. Um, so like, yeah, I remember when I was a carpenter, I'd get there at, 7 a.m. and I'd be like I can't wait till lunch now I don't eat until like dinner time because I'm just don't even think about it you know I'm just like working Um, so my perspective on the idea of a work day or like what I want my job to be has changed drastically you know Uh, it's not even the same thing for me anymore
1: and how many years you've been making these
0: this is my sixth year at Well, yeah, January January just happened. So this, I'm into my seventh year now. So I've been doing it for six years. This is now my seventh year, roughly. The beginning is kind of a gray area, you know, when I actually started, when I became... Like officially. Yeah. I don't have really like a one day where I just poof, I started doing this.
1: Do you have any employees?
0: No. Um, It's really hard to hire people. If you hire one person, it's... you technically have to make twice as much as you're making to support yourself. And that's a really hard threshold to reach as a small business. Um, you know, it's different when you're doing food or something. Um, but for me, like you I almost
1: need like an apprentice. You do. Yeah. It was there to like work for free because they got to
0: know what they're doing. Cause if they fuck something up if they mess something up, it's a huge liability and they don't lose money. You do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, that's how you eat. You know so it's difficult like I've tried to uh, train some people even here locally there's a couple of guys that have come through the shop and uh, had some interests and I gave them the benefit of the doubt you know and like taught them things Um, but then very quickly I think you realize it's just easier to do it yourself you Mm -hmm. know Um, and for me it's it, it was such a liability to have somebody else in the shop using the tools you know, like you get insurance if you're smart, but they mess up one of your machines or if they get hurt, like, what do you do? You know, it's like a whole nother world to have an employee. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. It's like having a kid, basically. <laughs> you gotta worry about them all the time, you know?
1: Um, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like in order to make it feasible, yeah. it would have to be a real... They'd already have to a, be doing A it. real addition to what was happening there. Yeah. Or you're just kind of teaching somebody and losing money. You're training your competition. Essentially. That bastard. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Some of them have tried to do it, too. They tried to do their own thing afterwards. And uh, they didn't get enough knowledge before they left to really pull it off, thankfully. but um,
1: You didn't teach them the secret stuff. I didn't teach them the secret. You're like, I didn't even tell them about the samurai handbook. None of the recipes for really uh, (laughs) it. Cumin is my uh, secret.
0: Put cumin in everything. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been to Japan? No, I've never been to Japan. Uh, One day I'll go. Um, Actually, when I redid my business plan this year, I really kind of left a lot. Because last
1: year I took off like 39 days total. I saw that. I'm glad you brought that up because I I saw that right before we started. I was going to say, you know, you're working 24-7. All the time. I don't have a weekend usually. Um, I take
0: days off when like uh, something bad happens. (laughs) You know, like somebody dies or, um, you know, somebody needs help. I usually take the day off and help them. Um, or if, like, a friend comes in from out of town or something. But otherwise... Or um, doing a podcast. Or if you're doing a podcast. Well, I'll, I'll work
1: after this. <laughs> <laughs> the the craftsmanship, I'm just sitting here looking at this Tonto blade. And even the leather work, uh, the wrap and everything. It's insane. I appreciate it, man. My, uh, my real dad, I was adopted... Uh, by a father. Yeah. When I was young, but my my biological dad, he uh he is a super creative guy. <laughs> I'm saying super a lot today I've noticed. Mm. It's right in my headphones, super. But um <laughs> very smart, very talented guy and he's actually in prison. He's been in prison the majority of my life. Yeah. But uh he's in some like nicer federal prison and yeah. he's taught uh, woodworking and leather making yeah and he's done some really cool stuff and sent it to me yeah um, and i'd like to show you that after this absolutely that's awesome but it i would i don't know him too well we, we've r- wrote letters and we've talked over the years and stuff and um we seem kind of like the same dude yeah it's weird the same uh type of mind mm-hmm. um but based off some of the stuff i know he's done and everything he's done has been in there so like classes or, yeah. or, or and i think he taught for a while but it's pretty mind blowing the things he accomplished with with such limited resources oh yeah but i can tell this like showing if he got to see that yeah he'd be fucking blown away yeah um he's a kind of a dude like us like a creative type for sure it's in, that's incredible man and i i kind of started
0: out the same way like very basic very simple just step-by-step step, learning new tools, learning new process, learning how to use material. You said you were buying knives and then yeah. kind of like Frankenstein them. Well, as a teenager, you know, I, th- I think everybody in my generation always had like pocket knives, Swiss Army knives and stuff like that. And they would break or they'd get dull. So you'd learn to sharpen them, learn to fix them. And after a while... Switchblade. Yeah, switchblade. After a while, you'd uh, you'd be like, well, I wish this knife looked a different way. And then I was like, well, I have the tools. I could change the way that this looks. And, you know, one thing leads to another. And all of a sudden you're making samurai swords and you're (laughs) you're on a podcast, you know.
1: I'll be honest. When I looked at your Instagram, um, because we had talked at the coffee shop, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I make knives and uh, check it out. And I was like, holy shit, this dude makes knives. Because you're right. A lot. We were talking about earlier. Everybody's. Their own brand now and yeah. everybody does something and uh self-proclaimed this or that but this is genuine uh craftsmanship that's kind of mind-blowing thank you, thank you. it really is it's it's uh it's it's fucking it blows my mind that, that a guy right in our backyard decided he wanted to do this and made it happen yeah and that's super impressive to me i mean
0: there there is a lot of adverse adversary to it um, you know, like I had to overcome a lot of obstacles to get to where I am. But like I said earlier, a lot of it too is just timing. You know, like I happened to get involved with social media at the right time. You know, so I had a little bit of extra exposure than people would get today if they started. You know, the internet's kind of saturated now. Um, you that's know? your bread
1: and butter, though. I know. Because I, I can, like, when you were saying, like, that's what it is for you because. A guy like you and Erie, only yeah. selling twelve knives or whatever over right. like a six seven year span, opening a brick and mortar, even with this skill set, would yeah. probably be. You couldn't, wouldn't work. I'd have to be like
0: a. I'd have to live off an inheritance, or you know, live in my parents' basement or something like that.
1: Oh, so you don't live in your parents' basement. <laughs> no.
0: You're like actually. <laughs> Although I wouldn't mind it. I love I love my parents. I wouldn't mind living in their basement.
1: Um, no, but I, I totally I totally see
0: what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a lot of hard work, um, but I think there is something to be said about when we do what we do and how that affects the outcome of it, um, which is true with anything, you know, music. Like, look at um, people who have great musical influence often stand apart from what the norm is when they're around, and that's just another timing, thing about timing, you know? Um, yeah, and, if, and that, I think that's true with anything. Uh, there's an artist way back when in the Dada movement of art, his name was Duchamp, and he did... Um, you ever heard of the sculpture called The Fountain? It's like a toilet. He just took a toilet and entered it into an art show and call, called it The Fountain. Uh, and the ceramic toilet? Yeah, just the ceramic toilet. Um, or What, what like, time
1: period are we talking?
0: I don't know, dates? My uh, All my art history professors are probably <laughs> turning over in their <laughs> graves right now. Um, But I just know it's during the Dada movement, um, which is really kind of a satiric movement to expose the um, paradoxical nature of art um, or the ego, for lack of a better word. Um, But he said something that I really think about all the time. He said that great art is for the few by the few. And it wasn't an elitist statement. He wasn't being... He wasn't elevating himself over Some truth. It's the truth. It's because true value is only recognized by the people who can see true value. And that's a minority. You know, if you look at all the things in pop culture that are at the top of the charts, or what food is eaten most in the country, what is it? It's the lowest quality of everything. It's like McDonald's and Miley
1: Cyrus or you know, whoever. You Almost know. like it's it's it couldn't be for everyone. And it's not meant for everyone. Yeah. And, and the reason it's so special is because not everyone gets it.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where that saying that we were saying earlier comes from. Um, like you're only famous after you're dead, that old idea that artists, uh, are never around in the time when their work is appreciated. Um, it's kind of true, but things move a lot quicker now today. So people get a little bit more recognition. Um, and that brings us back to tools like the internet. And being able to have exposure. Uh, like I sell my knives all over the world. Ten years ago, I couldn't do that. You know?
1: Yeah, And it makes me think when you made that comment, it really hit me. I wanted to create something that will outlive me. Yeah. And dude, there, there's no reason. I've heard of samurai swords that last. Thousands what, of years. Thousands of years? Yeah. They still have in museums, they have swords that are like, really old. You know? Wow, and I, I bet they're. Value is just oh insane, priceless, I mean, it's insane. How this thing could last five hundred years? I hope. <laughs> I'll never know. And <laughs> that's that's crazy.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Same thing with I guess. I, I don't know. It's like a digital file. Like you release it and it's there forever, yeah. or when that will end or whatever. Yeah. But uh, that is a physical. That's a physical thing. And it. I mean, it looks. It looks like it's going to last a test of time, dude. Isn't that the goal of every mortal being though, to
0: conquer mortality somehow? Create something that defeats death. Like I want to make a sword that lasts forever because I don't last forever. Were that any different? My mindset might be different too. You might make a sword that, you
1: know, defends a nation.
0: <laughs> Uh, I'd rather make the idea of a sword that defends. Yeah, emotion. I don't want my,
1: I don't want these actually. Listen, uh, I don't want these actually killing anyone. Don't do anything
0: weird, please. Uh, that's the other thing too. Man
1: robs bank with Tonto. <laughs> Made se- by local. <laughs> you sell me one, and then like three days later, you see this like hooded
2: guy. Uh, oh my with gosh! Legs. I worry. <laughs> don't get
1: me wrong. I worry
0: every day. You know. Yeah, some of my customers are very odd, and uh, that's part of the risk of selling to a client base that is cross continental. You're, you're selling things into cultures that you just aren't familiar with. You don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. And, um, that's a huge liability, you know, uh, especially like I was saying, I, I sell them some things to countries where it's actually illegal to own these. So there's a lot of red tape that goes into. Will you sell it? Will you try to get it passed through? I, it goes through customs. Yeah. So once they buy it, it's off, it's on them, yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you live in a country where knives are legal and you buy a knife, I think that you probably assume responsibility over, yeah, you know, making sure that's legal and you're
1: set well dude i wanna you wanna wrap this up, sure, yeah, I really appreciate your time, and it was good getting to know you in this uh yeah. this capacity, yeah, you too, man. This is an awesome experience for sure yeah. and and as these go on into the future maybe we'll have you back on
0: yeah maybe you can come see the shop and do something there or whatever
1: i would love to yeah i would love to come check it out yeah maybe like record a little song in there like a little i got like a gopro that i've been trying to do some cool shit with
0: you can even see how i do what i do you know that would give you a better understanding of what what it's about
1: hell yeah yeah say your last thing one more time my last name?
0: Yeah. Chris Adelhart. Adelhart. I want to say Adelhart. <laughs> Actually, that's probably the way you're supposed to pronounce it because it's
1: just like a straight German word. And... Well, my last name's Smilo. Yeah. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it's Smello or Smillo. <laughs> I'm not having that. Choose which one yeah, sounds it, it's better. It's Smilo. <laughs> well, thanks, man. It's been great. Thanks, yeah. Chris. And check out his Instagram.
2: Pariah
1: Knives. There it is. I want to say perish. Pariah Knives, check it out. Hopefully, no one perishes.
0: Mm. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?